Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I um, hope you've had a really great week, and I'm so happy to see you. If you're new to the, this whole Hill Study thing, I'm John Wagler. I'm part of this team here, and so grateful you decided to watch here online. And um, obviously, we're back live as well at 9.30 and 11 o'clock, but so grateful that we have technology to be able to um, do this. Um, we are approaching the greatest week in Christianity, right? Like it's it's Easter week and starting off with Palm Sunday. And um, you know, normally we have a Good Friday service actually, but this year what we're doing is we are giving you guys an opportunity to spend some time with people uh, in smaller environments at your home. Uh, maybe it's just your family, maybe invite another family or you're doing stuff with friends or whatever. Um, but we wanna have everyone do a Passover meal together. And so uh, this week you'll see information go out about the food you need to get. Um, we're going to do all this stuff for you in like a packet so that you can download, but a script. Um, we have a video uh, from a dear friend who's a leader at one of the Messianic uh, Jewish temples here in Richmond and is helping out with all of this. And just to be able to spend some time and get your Easter week started off just a little bit differently uh, than normal. And it's going to be an awesome experience if you've never done one before. And it's really cool um, for any age to be a part of it. So excited for you guys to participate in that. That and thank you for doing so. Um, but we're today is Palm Sunday, which is exciting. It's a celebrate celebration kind of day, um, and it's interesting because obviously last week we were talking about suffering, and this week we're also talking about suffering. And we want to do two weeks on this because of how important it is that everything we're going through and have been through um, over these past 13 months, and not just in America, obviously, it's it's worldwide and so many different things. And, and honestly, that idea of how do we suffer well, or that question of how do we suffer well, is something that's on the forefront of people's minds all the time. It is something that becomes prohibitive sometimes for people engaging a faith in God. And so last week I actually talked about who is God in our suffering? Can we trust his character in the midst of it? And then this week I want to talk about who am I in the midst of suffering? Like what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to think? And how do I react to uh, times of suffering? And so on Palm Sunday it feels again like that's a celebratory thing. So if you've read the Bible at all, or know the story about Jesus, and if you don't, it's okay. Uh, but what ends up happening is, is towards the end of his life here, um, there's this moment where he's about to enter into Jerusalem. He stands on top of the Mount of Olives. He's overlooking Jerusalem, and he goes down this pathway on a donkey, and the people there uh, are just laying down these palm branches uh, for him. And, and typically what would end up doing, the reason that they would do that would be sometimes the coronation of a king, or if a king was entering into a town or high-ranking official of some kind, they would you know lay down these palm branches. And they started shouting like, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're proclaiming these big things about Jesus being the king and about him being the Messiah. And it's interesting because it's, it's this huge kind of pinnacle celebratory moment, yet it's right before he then enters into the highest point or the lowest point, I should say, of his life in suffering up on uh, death up on the cross. And so we begin to see, honestly, to some degree, uh, this is how life happens, right? You have these big pinnacle moments, but then all of a sudden you're going through something really hard. And so this year, uh, I just wanted to add in this layer to how we think through suffering. And so again, last week was who is God, who's God in suffering. This week, I want to talk about who am I. But when we think about suffering, 
and how God relates to it. I was uh, reflecting on a quote by this guy named Tim Keller that I remember reading years ago. And um, he, he said it this way. He said, why, in light of the human race, does God allow so much happiness? And, and it's an interesting thing because, you know, so often we hear like, wow, how could a God, loving God allow so much suffering? And, and Tim says, man, knowing what I know about humanity, why would he allow so much happiness, right? And so it's important for us to begin to honestly take in the different levels and perspectives and have a greater understanding of suffering, uh, not just that we can suffer well, but also that we can find God in the midst of this and do things the right way ourselves. And so the uh, main idea for uh, this week is that man-made problems are only solved with Christ-like answers. Man-made problems are only solved with Christ-like answers. So what is the problem? You know, um, the easiest answer we can give is this thing called sin, all right? So sin is the problem. Sin's at the heart of every part of suffering, every part of pain, every part of wrongdoing, every part of brokenness. Sin is the problem. In the Bible, there's this, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the first book of the Bible is called Genesis. And part of the story in the first two chapters is about the creative order and how things came into play. But then in Genesis chapter 3, we, we pick up this story where we have uh, Adam and Eve. This is Adam and Eve here. And uh, what they're doing is they're in this garden, all right? And in this garden, there's like some trees and a whole bunch of other stuff there too and animals. I won't draw those. But so they're in this garden. Uh, along this point, um, they're living and God's given them some directions on how to live and how to respond in this garden and what to do and what not to do. He's given them boundaries on how to live their lives. Well, this serpent um, comes along and the serpent here. He comes along and he, he comes up to Adam and Eve and he begins to question, question what they've been taught and what they've been told. And, and so, because up to this point, they've been right in line with God and God kind of ordered things in a certain way to make sure that, hey, if you humans do this, then there's flourishing in, in this garden, there's flourishing in the land I created. Um, but if you don't, like something else is going to happen. And so this serpent comes up and is like, did he really say that? Did he really mean that? And so in Genesis chapter 3, um, he ends up saying it this way. He says in verse 6, he says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so when you begin to think about this part of the story, here's what happens. Um, this beauty of creation was completely fractured. And then what was un ushered in at this point, it was rebellion. Okay, so there's this rebellion against God that ends up happening. There was sin, as I said earlier. Um, there's a separation. Oops, I spelled that wrong. Separation. Um, from God because they chose a different way. And then shame is also introduced. All right, so all of these things come rushing into humanity and into our world. And then from that point, it begins to pile on, right? It begins to increase. And um, I wrote this down this week around this idea of shame, which is simply this, that sin never remains still. I'm sorry about sin. Sin never remains still. It will always crave more. So these things, sin, rebellion, shame, separation from God, they don't just stay stagnant. They're always going to do more. This is part of the human condition. It's always going to, there's always going to be more. Now, if we go back to uh, this wonderful drawing here, um, what ends up happening in Genesis chapter 3 
and says what God's going to do, he's going to at some point, here's the head of the, the snake here, the serpent, at some point he is going to stomp that head out. And so this becomes a narrative within Jewish scripture, uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, that um, it constantly goes back to this idea of like the head is going to be stomped out, the, the reason for all this evil, the reason for all this sin, rebellion, shame, all this, it's going to be stomped out. But in the midst of that is this humanity um, that's going on as well, and the human condition is um, before us. And so we see throughout all of this, and this is like really important, that when we see the, the problem of suffering and we see all of that, we, we see this first thing, and that sin is the cause, all right? So sin is the cause. Now, do we all sin? Yes. Will any of us ever be perfect? No, not until God restores everything and makes it whole, which is the end of the story. So I told you the beginning of the story in creation and then sin fractures everything. Well, Spoiler alert, the end of the story is that God wins and that he's going to restore everything. But in the midst of this, and this is what Easter week becomes about, right? In the midst, in the middle of all of that is this story of Jesus coming. He dies on a cross and resurrected and about living in the hope of the resurrection and everything. And that reshapes the impact of sin. It begins the forgiveness of sin. It reshapes our lives, our perspective and everything. But in this current life right now, the sin still has, you know, it's at play. It, it has an impact. It has an influence uh, in everything. And so it's important no matter what we're talking about. Um, sometimes people don't like to talk about sin. And uh, I, don't, I don't ever understand that because it's at the root of everything. So even as, as Christians, it's like, no, we need to talk about sin. We need to address sin. We need to be very comfortable talking about it because one, Jesus was, and so were all the writers of the, the Bible. But but, but two, it's the root. It's, it's, the, it's the center of the problem for all of us. So if you don't want to talk about sin, then you don't really care about justice, right? Because at every injustice that we see, we talk about, that we bring about culturally, at the heart of it is sin. We can talk about the ways it's revealed and bring terminology into it and everything else. But the truth is, at the heart of every ounce of injustice is sin. And here's the sad part about it. We're all, um, we all have an impact in it, right? So and this is the second point. So first point is that sin is the cause. The second point is we are participants, all right? So when you think about sin and suffering and pain and everything, it's always easy to say it's on them. It's, man, it's those kinds of people. It's, it's that grouping. It's, but the truth is that biblically, we're all part of this. And you can say like, well, but no, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But still, there are things that you think. There are things that you do. There are things that we say that contribute to pain, that contribute to suffering, that contribute to some of the ills that we see um, in our world. So when we start talking about the problem around suffering and pain and evil and injustice and everything, we say, all right, sin is the cause. And I think it's also important for us to say, and we are participants. It's important because I can't stress this part enough. If we can understand sin and our relation to sin, 
It totally reshapes how we see Good Friday and Easter. It totally reshapes how we see the hope of the resurrection. It totally reshapes how we see Christianity. It totally reshapes how we see the teachings of Jesus. It, 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 it causes us to take a step back and be like, oh, now I'm seeing like the impact that I can have in the midst of this while also seeing the greatness and the beauty of this story of Jesus. So when we think about sin, um, our inability to actually take sin seriously, um, it ends up essentially leading us to have graceless conversations, um, relationships, um, thoughts and actions. We become numb and we become numb to pain and suffering around us. Uh, we don't have a heart that has compassion and empathy towards people. Uh, we, uh, it's easy to play the blame game. It's easy to remove ourselves from things. That, that, even that way of thinking is sinful, okay? Because that's not the way that Jesus taught. It's not the way that we're supposed to engage those that are hurting. I mean, even you think about this, every act of greed um, brings pain to someone else. So in theory, I should literally never, ever have to talk about generosity in church, ever, because every single Christian should be overwhelmingly generous, every single one. And so I should never have to talk about it, but that's not the reality of Christianity. That's not as generous of a church as we are, which we are a very generous church. The truth is, is we are we fall way short of this calling of being radically generous, that every 100% of Christians are radically generous. And so, but in theory, like that should be the case. So, so what does this mean? Well, every time we aren't generous towards someone else, like it hurts somebody. Even you think about greed just systematically, like in our country, it's like because of the greed of certain people, think about like some people go bankrupt because of medical issues, right? That should never happen, but why does it happen? Greed. So like people get hurt. And so you think about the opportunities that we have to help other people. Well, when we're greedy, we're then saying like, well, my greed is more important. The things that I want are more important and helping others isn't quite as important. So what do you do? You, you elevate and you increase the pain and suffering of people around us. Um, when we think about, um, you know, affordable housing or the homeless or people who need like food and everything. Do, do you know right now if Christian, if the Christian world wanted, to, and this is just American Christianity, if we wanted to cure world hunger and the water shortage, we could literally do it tomorrow. If all Christians decide, you know what, we're going to give and, and, and we're going to give towards this, we could literally end it all tomorrow. So my point is, is that greed impacts people, right? So that sinful act of greed impacts us. And here's the thing. We're all greedy sometimes. All of us. I, I, listen, we put a lot into it for us as a family. Like we put a lot into generosity. But the truth is, is like sometimes we're also greedy. And, and it's part of like this purification process that needs to happen in all of us. But it's important for us to like, all right, how am I maybe a participant in injustice? How am I a participant in um, some of the suffering that happens uh, to people? Every act of pride hurts people, right? Pride means we think of ourselves more than others. And so we might refuse to become an, to answer to someone else's problem because of pride. Or we might love this tribalism stuff because of pride. And we become, um, we become part of the problem in this whole suffering conversation. Every lie erodes character and integrity. 
Every word of gossip creates a lack of authentic relationships. Here's a good one. Every like, every share of a post, every negative comment, every ounce of false information shared on social media contributes to the pain and suffering of others. So some of that's because you're creating a culture of divisiveness. Some of it, as I saw recently, we've had some dear friends go through a very tough situation and um, I saw someone post an article that was written about them that was um, almost the entire article was completely false. But this other person is a Christian and everything. And literally, this person posted on there that um, I don't know the full story here, but hopefully all the details come out. And they posted a false article about a fellow Christian who's trying to do good without knowing all the details. Guess what? The posting of that article was sinful. The posting of that article hurt someone else, did not love them, and increased their pain and suffering. So that was a sinful act. So every like of things that we do on social media, every time we participate in divisiveness, every time we create this culture of trying to hurt someone else or trying to prove someone else wrong, every time we share a post um, that might not be the full truth or the full perspective, honestly, with the intent to try and like be above someone else or like show knowledge over someone else or show favoritism to someone else, it is sinful. And we are a participant in increasing the pain and suffering of people. We are um, participants in increasing a culture of divisiveness, of hatred, of tribalism, of all these things. So we see that so much of this pain and suffering in this world is because of people. Okay, and you might be like, but what about earthquakes and what about, you know, um, cancer and some of these things that people may not necessarily control? Well, first off, there is a conversation to be had about how we treat the earth and some of the things that come out of it um, through some of the weather and everything else. So there's a conversation to be had there about what we do in stewarding God's creation. Um, There's also a conversation that sometimes with the earthquakes um, in particular, like, you know, um, again, this goes ties into greed. Some cities are actually built in areas where they should never be, but poor people were put in these areas that actually earthquakes um, impact. Sometimes because of greed, we have built homes and built buildings and stuff that can't withstand certain things because we don't want to take the money to actually do it. So there's a lot of different factors. And then are there sometimes some things that we just don't understand? Of course, this world, this universe, this everything is far beyond our knowledge. But my gosh, most of the things that we see, by far the majority of the pain and suffering we see are because of humans, because of we, us, we're, we're participating in us um, together. I wrote this down because when you think about the power of hell and what it, and how the Bible talks about hell and how the Bible talks about what is released into this world, um, it's, it's always referenced as kind of the opposite of the things of God, of the opposite of, of what God desires for, for us. Uh, I wrote this down. I just said, the power of hell is released through the thoughts and actions of humans. Okay, this is really important for us to, again, when we're talking about suffering well, again, last week was all about trusting in God's character and who he is, but it's also very, very important for us to see our role in this, in the releasing of the power of hell through the thoughts and the actions of humanity. Here's why. A lot of times God will get blamed for certain things, and I understand it. I understand it. I understand why people want to blame God. I understand why people are like, oh, I don't believe in this Christianity thing because look at all these bad things that happen or look at all the bad stuff that Christians do and everything else. But I understand all of that. But none of what you see in those actions, like, you know, when I've sat with people, be like, oh my gosh, like my, 
you know, what about the abuse in the church? And what about, I grew up in a church where, man, uh, they did stuff to women or there was abuse towards women or whatever. I was sexually abused or whatever. Like all these different, like very valid reasons to be angry at Christianity, um, angry, um, even sometimes angry at God, um, but like willing to like push off Christianity through all this suffering and pain. But the truth is, even in those scenarios, it's like none of those things are actually what Jesus taught. None of those things actually represent what Christianity is supposed to be. And so it's not, it's not that suffering, that pain, that all that evil, all that stuff. it's not Christianity. It is actually um, sinful people doing sinful things. It's not actually what Christianity is supposed to be or who Jesus is. And so a lot of times, too, we'll, we'll say, like, well, then what do we do with all this stuff? Well, the first thing that we often do, and you'll hear people say, is like, you just need to pray. Yes, I am... Uh, I'm all for prayer. I'm, I'm all into prayer. You guys have heard me say this all the time. Like we, we should be people of prayer daily and honestly, multiple times a day. We should be, this should be a regular discipline in our lives. Prayer is such a wonderful, wonderful way to connect with God. Um, but that is not the full answer that the Bible gives and how we respond to suffering and pain. That is not the full answer of what the Bible says of how we're even supposed to think about suffering and pain. Um, Because prayer um, is a starter point, but the Bible actually tells us um, there's more to it than just that. You might say, well, God should just wipe out evil people. Okay, neither you nor I would be here then, okay, because we've all played a part in this. You might say, well, God should just deal with it. He's a good and righteous God and all that. And someday he will deal with all of it. That's part of the story. Um, But Sometimes people are like, why doesn't he just stop everything? <clears throat> well, part of that reality is we either want choice or we don't. So we've got to like deal with that piece of this conversation too, right? Like that's a, that's a truth. Um, sometimes people just go that simple, like practical route. Like if we just change the law, yes, like laws matter and deeply so. Um, but that doesn't get to the core of the problem, does it? It doesn't actually get to um, the reason for all of this stuff when a law can't a law doesn't manage sin, right? And so, or, or it, can ma- it can be sin management, so to speak, but it doesn't actually speak to the core of what can actually cure the sin in and of itself. So what, so what is the answer? Well, here's the answer. Jesus. How about that? All right, so Jesus. And then I will say this, just after that, then us. So Jesus, then us. That is actually the answer that we see. And, and maybe the most appropriate thing would be like, Jesus, then us, then Jesus again uh, later in the end. But it's Jesus first, then us. Look at Luke um, chapter 9. It says this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, he be raised to life. This is what we're celebrating this week, right? So Jesus is talking to these guys. And he's like, here's what's going to happen to me. But here's what's just crazy. Look what Jesus does here in verse 23. He says, then he said to them all, like all the disciples, all the people who said they want to follow him. He goes, whoever wants to be my what? Disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. All right? And he goes, look at this. People miss this part right here. Take up their cross daily and follow me. That thing about daily is going to become very important here uh, in a second. So Jesus is like, you, you want to know what the answer to all this stuff is? Let me tell you something. I'm going to go up on this cross. And, and here's, remember those things about rebellion and shame and the focus on the self and everything we talked about in Genesis 3. There's also a power play in there uh, by Eve saying, uh, essentially what every sin is centered around is saying that like what I see with my eyes and what I want is greater than what God has already offered me. 
Okay, so that's like at the essence and at the core of sin. And so um, we see this power play that happens. Well, in Roman uh, uh, culture there, the cross was the symbol of shame. Uh, The cross was the symbol for like Rome's power. The cross was a symbol of of like rebellion and violence and everything, right? Because what sin always does when it keeps going on, it never sits by itself. It's going to crave more. And so when it keeps going on, the end result's going to be violence. The end result's going to be more rebellion. The end result's going to be more power moves. The end result's going to be like trying to oppress people. The end result is going to be trying to shame people, right? So the cross represents all of those things. The cross represented the worst of humanity in that moment. And so when people are like, we don't need the cross. I'm like, no, we do need the cross. We don't need, um, why did God have to shed his blood? We needed Jesus to shed his blood. And so why? Because he goes up on that cross um, for the forgiveness of our sin. But here's what he's doing. He, he goes up on that cross and he goes, all this stuff that is represented by sin up on this cross, I'm going to take all of this on for all of us. And he goes, and then we're going to defeat it. How does he defeat it? Well, what always kills people, what always shames people, what always shows the power of humanity, Jesus is like, you thought you won, but that's not the end of the story. Here I am, I'm back, right? Like that's the essence of what happens on that cross. And it's this unbelievable message of God's love for us. And so what ends up happening and that victory and everything, now some of you guys might be thinking like, why did it have to be a cross? Well, again, that was the pinnacle of death. That was the pinnacle. So right now, what's the pinnacle of sin? I don't know. Like at one point I would have said like the death penalty, you know, like with maybe electrocution or whatever, electric chair. Maybe if Jesus were here now, he would do the electric, you know, chair, but which, which is pretty cool that Virginia obviously abolished death penalty, by the way, good job, Virginia. Um, but the, um, I honestly think he would somehow die in social media and come back. Because I think at the essence of the most sinful place right now where there's the most death and destruction and evil is, is on social media. So somehow Jesus would do that in the element of social media. But there, right then, the, the cross was the pinnacle of everything in the Roman culture. So he goes up on this cross. He dies. He, he rises again. And then he tells his people, those that follow him, he's like, then you have to model what I just did here. You have to model if you want to be the answer to some of these problems, if you want to be the, the antidote to um, this sin in the actions, then you model what I just did. And that's what it means to take up your cross and to do it daily. And so Jesus suffered. He sacrificed. He, um, he served. He, he died to defeat sin. And the thing is, what he's saying is, that those that follow him are supposed to do the same. Those that follow him are supposed to have the same mindset. Those that want to be Christ-like, then take on that same mindset. And then that way, then our whole kind of premise of how we engage suffering and pain and evil, it begins to change. These man-made problems that were uh, put in front of us are solved with Christ-like answers. Okay? And so... We have to like understand this part to be able to suffer well, to see suffering and pain in its right context. Um, if we don't, we're going to veer off in a direction that doesn't actually solve anything. Um, I want to read a, a passage out of Colossians 3 because I think this part's important too um, when we start thinking about suffering and pain and our responsibilities as followers of Christ. Um, Paul, who is one of the other writers in the New Testament, he wrote this letter to the church And I want to read Colossians 3. This is going to be a little little bit longer passage, but I want you to just hear it because of how critical it is for our understanding of how to engage um, in such a way 
Paul says it this way. He goes, since then you have been raised with Christ. So here we are again, identifying with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So our mindset is like, I want to be Christ-like in my thinking because that determines my actions. Set your minds, here we go, our thinking on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So you might be thinking, I haven't died yet. Well, what Paul is saying is who you used to be died, but now your life is hidden with Christ. And he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So there's this relationship that happens in, in terms of Christianity. It says like, all right, my current present life is now shaped by who Jesus was. And the hope of the resurrection shapes my hope and my thinking and everything. And so that, that I'm going to be angled towards everything that is Christ-like, everything that is Jesus. My, who I used to be is gone. I'm looking towards to being more Christ-like in my life. In verse 5, he goes, put to death, strong language. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now watch all of these things that he lists because when you talk about evil and suffering and pain in this world, these things are always there. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk, which means you do not do this anymore, anymore if you follow Jesus um, in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as, watch this, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. So these are things to get rid of. He says, do not lie, I'm sorry, here, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in, is all and is in all, right? He continues on in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you as richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can you imagine if every morning you got up and you thought to yourself, who am I putting on today? Am I going to put on this old self, which leads to pain and suffering and evil and sin and all those things? Or I want to put on the new self that I'm supposed to have through Christ Jesus. This new model, I want to put off all of those things that Paul has done. And I'm putting on all of this, all the peace and compassion and kindness, forgiveness, all those things, the love, bearing one another's burdens, all that stuff. Like that becomes who we are. It's like you're going down a red carpet and, and, you're, and, some, and like someone's waiting. Like, it, wouldn't it be cool, honestly, if you did? You had a red carpet coming out of your house and every morning there was someone waiting for you and they were like, who are you wearing today? Right? Just like a, an award show. And you come down and, you're, and you're, you have two options. You can, you can be like, um, you might say, I'm, I'm wearing my Jesus clothes today, right? Or you might say, uh, my Satan clothes. Like, that's the other option. The people, the person would be like, did you say Satan? They're like, no, 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 I said Satan. That's what I'm wearing today. Right? Like, so you have those two options. And so who do you want to be? Because 
One steps into the suffering and pain and evil and gives us a different perspective and a way to engage and becomes part of the solution rather than the problem. A community that seeks to be an answer to suffering becomes one. Seems simple, right? A community that seeks to be an answer to suffering becomes one. Well, how? As I said earlier, through Christ-like answers. I want to close here today by um, talking to the folks that are actually going through suffering and pain right now, going through. A, I, I wanted to set this up where last week being, hey, let's talk about who God is, and I want you to be able to trust his character. And then I wanted to do the, a chunk of this of just like understanding how suffering and evil actually, you know, is part of our world and understanding this message of like why Christ speaking into it is so important. But I also understand that people are in a tough spot. And when you're in it, it's hard to see out of it. When you're in it, you feel all the emotion and all the pain and all the weight of it. When you're in it, you have all the questions and feel like you have no answers. Um, So whether it's a sickness or whether you've been hurt by someone else, whether it's a broken relationship, um, whether it's something you've actually maybe done to somebody else or um, and you want justice or you want retribution or you want you got a bunch of questions and everything I, I just want you to know um that in the midst of what you're going through God sees you and that you're not alone in all of this that he's near that's what we talked about last week um, I want you to to feel and know um it's valid those emotions that you're experiencing those that hurt and that pain, just because you're a follower of Jesus and just because you do have the hope of resurrection and just because you do see the end of the story and everything else doesn't mean you can't experience the pain. Doesn't mean you can't experience doubt. Doesn't mean that you can't like feel everything that you're going through. Matter of fact, you should. But I would just encourage you um, to don't do that alone. You, you need to laugh. You need to cry. You need to go on walks with people. You need to um, be vulnerable. You need to talk things out. You need people in your life that say, I hear you. And you need people in your life that will challenge you. You need people in your life that um, have put on those right clothes to bear one another's burdens. You need people in your life that will be optimistic and positive um, towards you, um, keep you in check. I um, About a year ago, honestly, I, I think it might even be exactly a year ago, um, I was when I was preaching, I said, you know, part of what this whole... Jesus thing is, is, is the beauty of God's grace in our lives. And, um, and I think every day that we get up, and in particular when you're going through hard things, this phrase, and I, I had it down here today too, that I need grace for today, um, is something that's part of what we see on the cross is God's grace for us. And when Jesus said that we need to pick up our cross and do it daily, that also means that every day we have to wake up um, whether we're in the lowest of low or the highest of highs, and we're choosing Jesus to put on or put on our Jesus clothes. Um, here's what else we're saying, that I need grace for today because sometimes problems are overwhelming, but I need grace for today. I messed up, but I need grace for um, today. And um, grace isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card, literally or figuratively. There might be consequences to your actions. But what grace does, though, is it sets a different mindset. It sets an understanding of who God is in the midst of our pet pain and suffering. And when we give grace to other people, we are modeling Christ through it. So my hope through these two weeks, and you know, we're going to be in Easter next week and, and celebrating the resurrection and talking about the choices that we have to choose 
um, between Jesus and, and other and something else. But my hope over these two weeks is um, I, I, there's no way I could give you all the answers. There's just I'm not nearly that smart. First of all, secondly, they're just we won't have all the answers um, that will satisfy us. But the answer we do have in the cross and resurrection and the hope of Jesus allows us to not only um, get through pain and suffering, but allows us to see the goodness of God in the midst of it and allows us to have a hope for at the end of this. And that reshapes our perspective. And when we're in it, it reshapes our perspective of how we should live around people and it reshapes our perspective of who God is in the midst of this. Let's pray. God, this morning, I know that um, there's a reality that some folks watching here today are going through some really difficult things. And and so hopefully um, they feel your presence with them today. Hopefully they feel um, a sense of optimism, um, of hope, of that there's still goodness to be had, um, that there is... Uh, light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And, and so um, in the midst of what people might be going through, which is, could be really awful, God, I hope that they see you in it. Um, and for others that might not be going through like a really tough spot right now, God, I just, I pray we will be deeply convicted about what clothes we're wearing that we would be deeply convicted about our actions and our thoughts, that we'd be deeply convicted about how we might be participating in the wrong way when it comes to all this evil and suffering in this world. Um, and I hope for all of us, God, that we will take sin seriously and understand that what we see before us, all these man-made problems, can only be solved and answered through you. So God, we give this to you. In your name we pray. Amen.